Uh, David wrote these words 3,000 years ago. Just lean into them. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Israel protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May you remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banner in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He enters him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give us victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence, God. We ask that you would just be here or that we would acknowledge your presence, that we would lean into your word and Holy Spirit, that you would just move among us and and move in us, that we would hear exactly what you want us to hear today. God, thank you for loving us, for caring about us. Thank you for turning uh, graves into gardens and bones into armies. And thank you for being a God that is so good that we can trust you. No matter what is going on in our lives, we can know that you're good and that we are loved and that we are safe because of who you are. Uh, Jesus, enable me to speak uh, your truth in a way that brings you honor and brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good morning, Maple Grove. Morning. And good morning to those out there in uh, TV uh, screen land. Good to have you with us today. Um, we're in week 11 of our, se- yeah, I know, uh, of our series, Such Things Were Written. Theme verse has remained the same the entire time. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and they give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. And so for 10 weeks, we have uh, dove down deep into some of the people and events that we find in the Old Testament, and we have been taught some many, we've been taught many powerful things. We've been given some uh, pretty sobering warnings, and we have also been given hope and encouragement as we wait for God's promises. For example, last week, the prophet Elijah, he He warned us of the steps that we can take that will cause us to fall into depression. Wear yourself out. Shut other people out. Have unrealistic expectations of how how things will turn out and to leave God out. Question, are you doing any of those things? But also from Elijah's story, we also learned how we can uh, climb out of temptation, out of depression, which gives us great hope and encouragement, right? Here's how you get out of it. You eat and you rest. You go to where God is. You go back the way you came and you stay no longer alone. Hashtag eggs. (laughs) Eggs. If you're here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, that's where we've been and I want to tell you where we're going. Uh, Next week, because we're going to wrap up the series on October the 25th, next week we're going to do a message, Can These Bones Live Again, from Ezekiel 37, that crazy passage of Scripture with bones coming back to life. Why in the world was that written, and what we, can we learn from it? And then the final message, we're going all the way back to the beginning. And we're going to talk about Genesis chapter 1 through 3, that God is great and that God is good. And then on November the 1st, we're kicking off a brand new series that I'm, I'm really excited about. I just figured it out this week. We're going to do this, Finding Freedom in a world that seeks to bind you, or from all the things that seek to bind you. 
right? Our, our world wants to enslave us and bind us. We'll be talking about things like finding freedom from fear, from guilt, from shame, from anger, from discouragement, from anxiety, from the opinions of other people, right? We want to find freedom. And I love that picture. The guy gets on the mountaintop, right? Took me a while to find that image, but I like that image. You know what? Finding freedom from all the things that are trying to bind you right now. Okay, that's where we are going, and where we are today is a conversation that I am calling Two Paths, Your Choice. Two Paths, Your Choice. And, and the event I want to talk about, it, it, it takes place during the uh, period of time when Israel was separated into the northern and the southern kingdom, the divided kingdom period. It's about 208 years long, all right? And during this time, Israel and Judah, uh, they had a total of 38 kings, and 33 of those kings were bad. Scripture says they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So 38, 33 were bad, and only five were good. And the reign of those 33 kings was marked by rebellion, sin, idolatry. And during those 280 years, God would send his prophets to, to warn his people to come back and return to him. You're not living the way that God wants you to live. Repent and turn back to him. So nine times God sends his prophets, and the people pretty much ignore his prophets. They continue to do things their own way. And here's what we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, 15, and 16. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them. For he had compassion on his people and his temple. He warned them because he had what? Compassion on his people. He loved his people. And because his presence dwelt in the temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets. Well, eventually, God has had enough of their sin and rebellion and their hard hearts. And we read, until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. You see, God is a God of compassion and a God of mercy. And so he warns us as any good heavenly father would. However, there does come a time when God has had enough and his justice will roll like a muddy river. There comes a time when his anger can no longer be restrained and nothing can be done to stop it. You see, that there, there is a point of no return for rebellious, sinful people who refuse to repent. Get it? Good. Now, you'll be thinking, you know, come on, Steve. <laughs> That's the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. We're living under grace. You know, stop teaching all this scary Old Testament stuff. It just brings me down and bums me out, right? Uh, and what does it have to do with us? Paul put it this way. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as what? Warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. In 2 Chronicles 36, God is saying, hey, this is not, this is not how I called you to live. This is not who I called you to be. I called you to live a different life than the nations around you. I called you to reflect my person and my purpose throughout the world. I called you to live your lives in such a way that the world watching you would see me through the way you live and would then seek me as their God. And that's the same call that we have on our lives, right? God has called us to live in such a way that those watching our lives will see God through the way we live and will want that God to be their God as well. And so this is where we are in, in, 
in the period of history of God's people where God is, he is done with the northern kingdom. This is a moment where they'll discover that the path that they have chosen to walk is, is the path of defeat, the path that leads to defeat. Okay, let's do this. Now, the Assyrian army had been flexing its muscles around the northern kingdom for years, conquering many different nations. Their army is about 185,000 soldiers plus strong. And as we come into the scene in 2 Kings chapter 17, God has removed his hand of protection from them. Now, on paper, Israel didn't stand a chance anyhow against this great army, but if God was fighting for them, if, if God was on their side, they would be fine. But God has withdrawn his hand of protection because of their disobedience. And when God withdraws his hand of protection, just know that that's not, that's not a good thing. So the Assyrian army comes in, and for three years, three years, they lay siege to the capital city, Samaria. Imagine what that was like, under siege for three years. People are starving. People are dying. Children are orphaned. Bodies are piling up in the streets. Thousands and thousands die. And then eventually, thousands more are, are, are taken and, and deported to various parts of the Syrian Empire. And then people from other conquered nations are repopulated into the northern kingdom. You see, this is how the Assyrians made sure that a conquered people stayed conquered. Defeat them, destroy them, deport them, repopulate them. And that way there's little chance for them to rebel. So, this, so 10 of the 12 tribes of Jacob that got called to bless the world are now no more. And in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 7, we read, And remember, such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us and to give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. Here's what we read. This disaster came upon the people of Israel because they worshipped other gods. They sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them safely out of Egypt and had rescued them from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. They had followed the practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of them. They had followed the practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of them. In other words, not only did they bow down to the uh, these foreign gods and idols, but they bowed down to the values and norms and behaviors of the culture around them. The people of Israel also secretly done many things that were not pleasing to the Lord their God. And by the way, nothing's ever secret to God, right? God knows everything. Hebrews 4.13 puts it this way. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Back to 2 Kings 17, talking about the northern kingdom. They built pagan shrines for themselves in all their towns, from the smallest outpost to the largest walled city. They offered sacrifices on the hilltops, just like the nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of them. So the people of Israel had done many evil things, aroused in the Lord's anger. Yes, they worship idols, despite the Lord's specific and repeated warnings, turn from all your evil ways, obey my commands. But the Israelites would not listen. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors, and they despised all his warnings. They worshiped worthless idols, so they became worthless themselves. They followed the example of the nations around them, disobeying the Lord's command not to imitate them. 
They even sacrificed their own sons and daughters in the fire, human sacrifice, and sold themselves to evil, arousing the Lord's anger. Because the Lord was very angry with Israel, he swept them away from his presence. And that is simply terrifying and sobering. Such things were written long ago to teach us and to give us hope and encouragement. Check out these warnings that the prophet Jonah and Hosea gave to the northern kingdom. It will be a terrible day when I turn away and leave you alone. And Jonah said this, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. Wow. So what is the path that leads to defeat? What is the path that leads to God removing his hand of protection where his anger can no longer be restrained? It's when his people continue to worship false gods. It's when his people continue to bow down to the values, norms, and behaviors of the world around them. And it's when his people continue in their refusal to repent and return. Because the Lord was very angry with Israel, he swept them away from his presence. Such things were written long ago to teach us Question, if we, if you, if I continue to worship false gods, no, no, we don't have idols we set up in our backyard or some temple, right? But if we continue to worship false gods like the gods of money, of pleasure, of wealth, of success, if we continue to bow down to the values and norms and behaviors of the world around us, if we continue in our refusal to repent, do we think God's okay with that? Do we think that God will just wink and overlook our sin and rebellion. You know, and our faith comes from hearing, we've been reading through Revelation, which is crazy, isn't it? Crazy stuff, but there's always some good stuff you can pull from it, right? But it opens up with letters to, Jesus wrote to seven specific churches. And all these churches, you know, he's telling them that they need to repent, and if they don't repent, he says, you know, I'll remove your lampstand. If you, if you don't repent, I, I, I will fight and come against you. If you don't repent, that I'll erase your name for the book of life. If you don't repent, I will spit you out of my mouth. Uh, understand, the path that leads to defeat, the path of worshiping false gods, bowing to the culture around us and not repenting, it's not a wise choice. And listen, choices have consequences. Okay, our choices have consequences. And to quote the, the modern day theologian, Dr. Phil, I love this line. He always says, choose the behavior, choose the consequence, right? That's what Dr. Phil says, right? You choose the behavior, you're choosing the consequence. You choose the behavior of worshiping false gods and bowing down to the norms of our world, we are choosing the consequence of defeat in our life and God removing his hand of blessing. But the good news is there's another path, right? It's a path to victory. I understand the southern kingdom, Judah, is watching all this go down. And so if you're living in the, if you're living in the southern kingdom and you're seeing the Assyrians just wiping out the northern kingdom, you're realizing that God is done warning you. It's kind of like the parent, right, who's like warning, right, their kid again and again, don't do that, don't do that. Then suddenly they realize, uh-oh, I think mom and dad are serious this time. I think they're going to follow through on their threats. And so the southern kingdom, it's given this unique opportunity 
If they've seen what's happened to their sister kingdom in the north, they've seen the path they walked, and they've seen where it led. And, and so here, here's what happens. The, the, the Assyrian army turns his attention now on the, on the southern kingdom, on Judah. And again, they're 185,000 plus soldiers strong. They're coming off a huge victory, and they, they're about to take on the nation of Judah. And the odds coming out of Vegas are put all your money on Assyria, right? Judah will not even cover the point spread on this one. Everybody's expecting that they will fall the same way, violently and brutally, but there's an X factor in the story, and his name is King Hezekiah. You see, Hezekiah was really the first king since David that really followed and chased after God with all his heart, which is pretty impressive because his dad wasn't so good. His dad was King Ahaz, and Scripture says this of King Ahaz. And 2 Kings 16, 2 and 3. This is his dad. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and even sacrificed his son in the fire. That means one of Hezekiah's brothers was sacrificed in the worship of a foreign idol. Engaging in the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. But despite having a corrupt father and, and having such an ungodly upbringing, Hezekiah decided in his mind, you know what, I'm not going to live my life that way. I'm not going to walk that path. I choose to be different. I'm not going to let my past define me. I'm not going to let my dad define me. I'm not going to let the culture define me. I'm going to walk a different path. I'm going to walk God's path, right? And you can do the same thing, right? You can choose to let your past define you or choose to rise above and overcome your past. And see, as a result of how Hezekiah lived, not only did he experience blessing, but the nation experienced blessing and experienced God's protection. So the Assyrian army is knocking on the door, and the people are terrified, and rightly so. I mean, not only were the Assyrians had this massive, well-armed well soldiers, but they were known for their brutality. They were the you know, they they perfected a fine art of flaying your enemies alive, just tying them down and peeling their skin off. And they would take a conquered people and they would pierce their cheek or lip, put a hook in it, and they put a rope or chain and lead all their captives away into captivity. They're brutal, and so they're afraid. And Hezekiah speaks to them, and, and the way he speaks to them would have reminded them of stories they heard about Joshua because he uses kind of the same language. Here's what he says. Second Chronicles chapter 32. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of Question, do you have a because of? Like, like, is there something in your life that is causing you to be afraid and discouraged? You know, this morning, you know, I had a wave of discouragement just trying to pull me under. Man, it was pretty brutal. And I'm going over my notes. You know, well, I got a sermon. I have time to wallow my discouragement. I got to come and encourage God's people. And I got here. You know, and I go, I'm so glad I have this scripture in my sermon. 
Be strong and courageous, not be afraid and discouraged because of. See, I have a because of. You know, I so miss pre-COVID Sundays. This is like week 30. I so miss it. You know, I, you know, I saw Laurie later on in the day and I was feeling better, you know, uh, and, and it's just how you know, I said, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know? I just said, it's just that rainy days and COVID Sundays always get me down, right? <laughs> if you carpenters, okay, Google that back, you know, yeah, like I'm, I dated myself so far I should be in a nursing home, right? But anyhow, you know, it, it's so God that I read that. I mean, but do you have a because of? Do you have a because of in your life right now? Because of this. For there is a greater power with us than with them. With him is only the arm of flesh. With us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Yeah, they have 185,000 soldiers. That's a pretty serious arm of flesh, but it's just an arm of flesh. And we have the Lord God with us. And if God is for us, then nothing can stand against us. And so the Assyrians, now, what they're trying to do is, is, is they want to take the southern kingdom without a fight. They figure, hey, if we can conquer without a conflict, that really works out well for us. And so the king of Assyria, a guy named Sennacherib, he's a very shrewd guy. And, and what he does, he sends messengers to the southern kingdom, and they, they go directly to the people who are on the wall, manning the wall, and he has them speak to them in Hebrew, he doesn't go to the leaders. He doesn't go to Hezekiah. He goes directly to the people in order to terrify the people, in order to create widespread panic among the masses, psychological warfare. And here's what the messengers say. Hey, we got a message from the great king, Sennacherib. Second Chronicles 32. Surely you must realize what I and the other kings of Assyria before me have done to all the people of the earth. Were any of the gods of those nations able to rescue their people from my power? Which of their gods was able to rescue its people from the destructive power of my predecessors? What makes you think your God can rescue you from me? Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. Don't let him fool you like this. I say it again. No God of any nation or kingdom has ever yet been able to rescue his people from me or my ancestors. How much less will your God rescue you from my power? Let me tell you, you don't want to be standing close to that guy, right? Because he's not just calling out Hezekiah. He's calling out God. He's saying, you know what? There hasn't been a God of any kingdom that has stood up to us. What makes you think your God is any better? Your God cannot stand up to me. He's lying to the people about who God is and what God can do. And, and here's what I know. I, I know that for many of us, there's an army camped outside our door and the odds seem impossible. I mean, it seems too messy for him to clean up, too broken for him to put back together again, too bad for him to redeem for good, too beat down for him to lift back up. Question, is there an enemy whispering or shouting in your ears telling you that not even God can get you out of this one? That not even God can restore that relationship? Not even God can save your marriage? Not even God can rescue you from that danger? Not even God can put the pieces back together again? Not even God can turn this thing around? Not even God can overcome those odds? Not even God can bring things back to the way they were? 
Not even God can conquer this problem. And so what is happening is that oftentimes we believe the lies of the enemy. And in turn, we live a life, we live our life with fear rather than live our lives with faith. I mean, what can we really do against an army of 185,000 Assyrian soldiers? Well, remember, with them is only the arm of flesh, and with us is the Lord our God. And I want you to look at what King Hezekiah does in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Again, his city, it's surrounded. His enemies continue to shout their threats. His people are terrified. And he's even received a personal letter from the king reiterating every single threat. And we read in Isaiah chapter 37, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Do you see him? Man, he's outnumbered. Man, how do we get over this? He takes that letter. He's on his knees before God. He has that letter before God, this letter of all the threats, of all the lies, of all the things that his God can't do. And he's kneeling there. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has said to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these people in their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they are not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kings of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Man, I love that picture. And you know what? We, we know from Second Chronicles chapter 32 that he wasn't crying out to God alone. You know who was with him? Isaiah. Both Isaiah and Hezekiah are there crying out to God, saying, God, this is too much for us. God, we need your help. And God heard and answered. Here's what we read. This is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. I love this. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he'll return. He'll not enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. I always like the King James wording in 2 Kings 19.35. When they rose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. <laughs> When you wake up and find you're dead, that's a problem, right? And, and God gives us a, a little ending in Isaiah that not long after this, Sennacherib is worshiping one of his false gods in the temple, and two of his sons bring him down with the sword. That's the end. No fight, no war, no battle. And God sends an angel and wipes out 185,000 of the enemy. Be strong and courageous, Hezekiah says. If God is for us, 
Who can stand against us? And listen, embracing that attitude of God is for us, nothing can stand against us, makes all the difference in how we approach life, right? It, it, it makes all the difference in the confidence that we have. Be, because when we do embrace that, hey, if God is for, uh, for me, nothing can be against me, then no matter what life throws at us, and life can throw out some serious stuff, amen? We will stand strong because we know that with them is only the arms of flesh. With us is the living God. Isaiah would later write, Isaiah 54, verse 17, that if God is for us, then no weapon formed against us shall what? Shall prosper. That's the story. Path of victory leads to God's blessings. And what what I want to do right now is, see, there's some things about Hezekiah. There's some commitments that he made, right, that unleashed God's blessings in his life, right? And, and, and what I want to do is talk about those things because what I want to see happen in my life, <laughs> anybody want God's blessings unleashed in their life? All right, all right, awesome. Some of you don't, sorry. <laughs> yeah, go back to Nineveh, right? No, kidding. Uh, all right. So let's talk about that. What was it about Hezekiah? Three commitments that he made that we need to make if we want to unleash God's blessings in our life. Such things were written long ago to teach us, to give us hope and encouragement, right? Hezekiah was committed to purity. He was committed to purity. Second Chronicles 29, verse 3. And this is where I read when he takes the throne, right? Second Chronicles 29, 3. He's 25 years old at the time, you know? Really bad dad. His bad dad did a lot of bad things. I love this. In the very first month of the very first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. And next he summons the Levites in the courtyard of the temple. He says, listen to me, you Levites. Purify yourselves and purify the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all the defiled things from the sanctuary Our ancestors were unfaithful and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They abandoned the Lord and his temple, and they turned their backs on him. My sons, do not neglect your duty any longer. The Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to lead the people in worship and present offerings to him. And then these men called together all the Levites, and they began to purify the temple of the Lord, just as the king had commanded them. So in the first month of the first year of his reign, he says, you know what? Our ancestors, they were unfaithful. (laughs) My dad was leading the way. They abandoned the temple. They abandoned God. I want you to know I'm on the throne now, and we are not going to do things that way any longer. We're going to do things God's way. We're going to walk a new path, and that new path began with purification. So he removes from the temple all the things that were brought into God's temple that defiled it. And then he reopened the doors of the temple because his dad had closed the doors. He reopened the doors of the temple so that God's people could go back to the temple and worship him at his house together again. He was committed to, to purity. Now, purity is not a word we talk about 
today a lot, right? And we do it's like it's kind of out of date. It's kind of kind of prudish, old-fashioned. But yet in Scripture, the idea of, of purifying our lives and our hearts seems to bring the blessings of God. However, what many of us want, if we're honest, is we, we want to be blessed by God, but we, we, we don't want to live in that brokenness that is necessary for purification. Now, now part of the challenge for, for me personally, and I, I think for a lot of us, is that our standard of purity isn't what it should be. Like, like, like we don't realize what in the temple is actually defiling the temple because it's been there for so long. Uh, uh, we, we've grown up with these defiled things and we don't even know they're defiled anymore. We don't recognize what needs to be removed. See, the problem is we compare our, our level of purity to the culture around us, to the world standards rather than to God and his holy standards. And in turn, we feel like we're doing pretty good. I understand that there are ways of living and believing that have become so common in our culture today. Even among Christians, right? So common in our culture today that no one even bats an eye at it anymore. And you hear about it, you see about it, you know people that are doing it, living that way. Definitely in sexuality, I would say, right? And we don't bat an eye at any of that. Just the way it is. It's so common. And you see, what we need to do is we need to go back to God's standard. And let God's standard be the measure of what is pure and what is not pure. And what should be in our hearts and minds and lives and what should not be. See, the path that leads to God's blessings and victory is marked by commitment to purity. And I contend that purity is, a, is an awesome thing, right? If something is pure, it's in its essential, natural, undefiled, unblemished, and uncontaminated state. And the truth is, all of us care about purity when it comes to certain areas of our lives. As I was working on this message, I came across a list of the FDA's Food and Drug Administration's purity standards for the food that we eat. And, and I found it to be quite disturbing. So I wanted to share it with you. So here's the FDA standard of purity for apple butter. Anybody ever had that this morning? You'll be glad to know that if the mole count is 12% or more, if it averages four rodent hairs per 100 grams or more, if it averages five or more whole insects per 100 grams, the FDA will protect you from it. Otherwise, it's safe to put on your toast. Okay? Ground cinnamon. Ever use cinnamon? For every 100 grams of ground cinnamon, it's okay to include 400 or more insect fragments, legs, heads, wings, thoraxes, and 22 or more rodent hairs. <laughs> Mushrooms. The FDA says that they, they can't be sold if there's an average of 20 or more maggots of any size per 15 grams of dried mushrooms. All right? Tomato paste and pizza sauce. Can, can include 30 or more fly eggs per 100 grams. Alternatively, you can have 15 or more fly eggs and one or more maggots or two or more maggots, but not all of the above. <laughs> Hot dogs. I'm not even going to go there. Not even going to go there, right? You may be having that for lunch. It's so disturbing. Even I can't, even I can't share that. 
But here's my point. We like to think that our standard of purity is, is pretty high with the food that we eat. But we just come to accept it. Because here's the truth is, I read those stats. You're still going to eat mushrooms, right? <laughs> You're still going to use cinnamon. You're still going to eat hot dogs. And I just wonder, for many of us, maybe the standard of purity in our lives needs to be reexamined. And the best way to do that is, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, is to be washed in the word where God's word cleanses us from all impurity. In 1 John 1, 8, John talks about this. He says, this is how you purify yourself under the new covenant. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, in other words, if we, if we take what is in the dark and bring it into the light, if we open up, to the, open up the door of the temple of our lives and minds and drag out what isn't supposed to be there, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, in the New Testament, it's not about a bunch of rituals we go through. It's about God purifying us through Christ. When we confess our sins, when we repent of our sins, when we take what is in the darkness and bring it, into the light, removing it from our lives. And listen, until we do that, we should not expect a whole lot of God's blessings in our lives. It's presumptuous of us to pray for a blessing of God when we're knowingly offending God with certain areas of our lives. It's presumptuous of us, of me and of you, to ask God to bless our lives when we're knowingly defiling our lives beforehand. I heard it once explained this way. I like it. You go on vacation and a neighbor's supposed to cut your grass. You come back, you're gone for several weeks, he didn't do it. Now your grass is like eight inches tall. And you know that your Walmart push mower just will not get the job done. But your neighbor has a John Deere. And, and that'll do the job. And your neighbor has said before, hey, you know what? If you ever use, need to use my lawnmower, feel free to do so. So you're walking over to your neighbor's house, and he's got this little tiny dog that yaps, doesn't bark. You know, those little annoying little dogs that just yap, 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 right? Same dog that leaves messes in your yard. Well, you're, on this, you're about to get to the front porch, and the dog latches onto your pant leg. And, and, and you just kind of slyly give it a kick just to get your point across. And you look up, and there on the porch with his arms folded is your neighbor. Let me ask you, is this a moment you should ask if you can borrow his John Deere lawnmower? No, you don't do that, right? Because you got something to clear up with your neighbor. There's something between you and your neighbor that needs to be dealt with. So my question is, what is there between you and God right now? What is it that needs to be addressed in your life? If we say we don't have sin, we're a liar, right? Scripture says that, right? If you're all good, you ain't good. What do you need to repent of? What do you need to confess of? You know, sometimes we approach God and we want God to bless us. And we think, yeah. He doesn't really care about all that stuff. I, I mean, everyone's doing stuff like that. Some are even doing worse things. But before we ask God for a blessing, maybe we need to acknowledge that we kicked his dog, right? 
Like maybe there really is something that God wants you to deal with this morning. What have you allowed to be brought into the temple of your life that is offensive to God? I don't know. Is it pride? Is it selfishness? Is it bitterness? Is it unforgiveness? Is it some attitude that needs to be changed? Is it an activity or habit that dishonors God? Is it a relationship that needs to be made right? Needs to be restored or needs to be made pure? Is it addiction that needs to be dealt with? Is it a secret sin that you need to share with another brother and sister in Christ? Is it the fact that you're not really caring for the poor? You're not sharing your faith? You're not reading the Bible? You're not using your gifts and talents for his kingdom? Is there anything between you and God, not between you and me, but between you and God that God would want you to address? Isaiah, towards the end of his book, talks about God's power. In Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, he says, Look, look, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. The problem isn't that God can't help you, nor is his ears too dull to listen. Understand, God can hear you just fine. But the problem is, your iniquities, your sins have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And so purification is what we see with Hezekiah. And that's what many of us are missing in our lives. To receive God's blessing to experience his protection. Another commitment he made was a commitment to the words of the prophets, to the word of God. I mean, he was really committed to the word of God. I mean, as soon as he took the throne, he knew what God's word said about worshiping idols. He knew what God's word said about the temple. And as soon as he took the word, he was com- took the throne, he was committed to the word of God, and he took action to live out that word within the empire. Now, understand, there's blessings that come with a commitment to the word of God. Psalm 119 is incredible. Verse 1, blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 35, direct me in the paths of your commands, for there I find delight. Psalm 119, verse 92, if your word had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 105, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. 130, the unfolding of your words gives life. See, there's blessings that come when we're committed to God's word. Jesus said in the upper room, John 13, verse 17, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if what? If you you do that. James says, do not be deceived. Do not merely listen to the word. What? Do what it says. Jesus says there's blessings when we follow his word. In in Matthew 7, right, he says one of the blessings are when you follow his word that your your life is built on the rock. So when the storms of life come and the rivers of life rage, your house, your life will stand firm. See, Hezekiah, he had a commitment to purity. He had a commitment to the word of God. And, and, And I'll just say this. I say this a lot, and I'm okay saying this. And if it offends you, I'm okay with that. Can you be committed to the Word of God if you don't even read it? So many people who claim Christ don't even read the Word of God. 
You can repent and change that, right? If that makes you uncomfortable because you're not reading it, I am okay with that. 100% okay with that. I want you to read it because his words bring you life. His words can change you. His words can help you. They can feed you. They can quench your thirst like nothing else can, right? Amen? He had a commitment to prayer. See, we, we got to get to this point. I got to get to this point where we... See, when we're so desperate and dependent upon God, when we know that we cannot make it without him, then we'll start to pray like God wants us to pray. He wants us to pray with a great amount of dependence and acknowledgement of how much we need him. Scripture says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crop. He was committed to prayer. When he had a problem, what did he do? He took that letter and went right to the temple with it. You know, this morning, when I, I posted on Facebook, and I'm always like, I don't want to post on Facebook if I'm discouraged, and I said, I'm going to do it. And I just put it on there, you know, uh, feeling pretty discouraged right now. Prayers appreciate it. You know, and, and last time I looked at it, it was a while back. You know, in, I mean, within moments, within hours, I have people all over the country praying for me. I have people in Brazil. I have people in Northern Ireland. I, I, have, I have people in Romania. I have people in Germany all praying to God for me. And, and you know what? Prayer works, right? Prayer changes things. I mean, and what God wants you to do is whatever is, is bringing you down, whatever is discouraging you, he wants you to take that out and spread it out before God and cry out to him. You know? and, and sometimes what he wants you to do, you know, like I said, Hezekiah wasn't praying alone, was he? Isaiah was right there with him. And what I did this morning, because I, I couldn't pray myself out of it, but people were praying, you know, because I, 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 seriously within like minutes, like I'm like totally cool. <laughs> I'm really fine, you know. That's who our God is, and that's what our God can do. If you want to see God's blessings unleashed in your life, right? Be committed to purity. And there's something we all have we have to deal with and be honest with God, right? Let's not pretend. God knows and God forgives, right? God sees and God forgives, right? That's what he's all about. Commitment to the word and a commitment to prayer, and when we do that, God will be able to unleash his blessings on our life. Father God, we love you. God, we know that you're good. We know that. And we know that, God, we know that we need you. And God, I pray that right now you would just be with us. And, and God, that the Holy Spirit would help us. God, if there is any offensive way in us, point it out to us. Anything about our lives that you want us to drag out into the light and remove, help us to do that. God, help us to recommit ourselves to your word. God, to, to recommit ourselves to prayer. God, to not listen to the lies of the enemy who wants to beat us down and discourage us. God, we know that you so long to be for us and you long to pour out your blessings on us. 
And God, I just pray now as we sing this song, Holy Spirit, do your work in us, in this room, those listening online. God, we know how much you long to unleash your blessings in us. God, thank you, be, being, thank you for being for us. Thank you for reminding us that we do not need to be afraid or discouraged because of whatever. Because the one with us is greater than the ones against us. In Jesus' name, amen.